Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. So glad that you guys are here. We are in our study in Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians 4, if you would, with me. And uh, obviously we're in the last chapter. And so we'll be moving right along. Right after Colossians, we're going to go to Philemon. And so if you want to do a little uh, read-ahead study, so you make sure you pass the midterm exam, go ahead and do that. If you're new here, we really don't have tests. I was just teasing. Um, but it, you will read, as we'll get to here next week, where uh, Onesimus is a guy that was connected to uh, Philemon, and they were a part of the Colossian church. And so kind of get a, even a deeper level, and that's why I kind of pair those two together. There's a connection there. But the question this morning that I wanted to start out with was, like, Gary, I think, is, uh, we, we joke, he's not here so we can talk about him. He just walked out. Uh, we love hearing Gary pray. You know, like, just how he prays, and he's just very articulate with his words, like, so much better than me, right? He can say so much in, like, five words, where I need, like, five hours to say the exact same five words and trip over my words. We just love listening to Gary pray. And, but do you ever think about that, like, isn't prayer just, I mean, can we be honest, isn't prayer kind of weird, kind of awkward to think about it? I mean, think of the fullness here. We have an omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, a God that is everywhere, created everything just with the word of his voice. And when we, just what Gary led us in, when we pray like that, that God hears us. I mean, really think about that. That God chose to provide something for us in which we can speak to him. Like if you, if you were talking to a full-on atheist unbeliever, not that somebody that's rejected God, but just didn't know about God, had no context to it. And they said, you know, hey, tell me about your God. And we're telling him all these wonderful things. Hopefully the cross and Jesus would be a part of that. And then, you know, there's parts that we would think, okay, God is this distant being off into the galaxy, the universe, far, far and away. And it's like, no, no, no. We get to talk to him. Like that person would probably look at us and be like, you're crazy. There's no way that you, you really think that that God can hear you. Because the danger is that we're going to think that prayer is unnecessary if we overlook the broader teaching of the word. You know, because if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and he's everywhere, then why pray? If he already knows everything that we need, if he already knows everything that I'm going to say, then why pray? And, and we, it, even though those are coming out of positive things, you know, understanding the character of God, but then why pray? And scripture teaches us that everything that we need for life, for godliness is found in God, who is willing, who is able to give, and he knows what we need before we ask it, but it does not teach that he gives us or gives to us automatically. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And so we do have this all-knowing, all-powerful God who is everywhere. And what does he say? Come to me. Come to me. And you might be thinking, oh, that sounds really, really good, Pastor Nick, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. I, I don't. I don't know what you're dealing with. He does. And what does he say? Come to me. Come to me with that. 
because he could give everything that we need before we ask. You know, sometimes I do that with my kids. It's because we know them so well. They'll be walking up, and I'm like, oh, here you go. They're like, how did you know? Dad, I'm all-powerful, all-knowing dad, right? I'm just dad. I do things and know things. That's what I do. And it's the same way that our Father, our Heavenly Father, could treat us the same way. Like, even before we get to Him, there it is. But the beautiful thing is He wants us to come to Him. He could give us everything, but then what would remove from that? The personal relationship. The conversations that God wants to have with you. Him wanting you just to pour your heart out to him. I have three girls that are uh, Ashley and the kids. They're in St. Louis. They skipped a Sunday. You know, those PKs and pastor wives, I tell you. They're in St. Louis at a gymnastics competition. And when they get home tonight, they're all going to come rolling in, all four of them, and have story upon story that they want to tell me. And I'm going to have to muscle up a whole lot of energy and an alertness to listen from stories from a seven-year-old all the way up to uh, my wife's age, which I won't say publicly because we're recording and I'm not stupid, right? And I want to hear all these stories. Why? Because I love them. Jesus is telling us, come to me. Keep talking with me about it. Well, sometimes I feel like my prayers aren't doing anything. Keep, keep talking. Keep coming to me about that. You, you might not be able to see what I'm doing behind the scenes, and that's okay. But just keep coming to me about it. And so Paul tells us here in Colossians 4, he's encouraging the church in Colossae, and he's encouraging us to continue steadfastly in prayer. Verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. That's convicting seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we're supposed to continually and steadfastly continue in prayer. And you might ask that question, and I'm sure all of us have, at least at one point in our lives, do our prayers really change God's mind? Well, what's the point of always coming to Jesus? He's saying, okay, come to me. I know I keep coming to you, but it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. Well, keep coming to me. Am I ever going to change your mind? Again, same thing with my kids. You know, they'll want to, right now, card games are the big thing in our house. So I have a daughter that always wants to play card games. She'll come up and, hey, you want to play a card game? Here in a bit, here in a bit. She probably has that same mentality. Am I ever going to change his mind where he's just going to say yes and we get to play? Like, why do I just keep coming to the Father with these requests? Are we going to be able to change God's mind? Well, we have to understand prayer I love this quote. Prayer is not a means of overcoming God's reluctance. See, God's not sitting in his lazy boy trying to watch the game, and us kids are pestering him, like, Dad, will you do this? Dad, will you do that? Oh, maybe, and I don't know about that. I don't know if I really want to give that to you or do this in your life. We're not trying to overcome God's reluctance. Instead, it's a way for God to take hold of our willingness. Willingness. 
So in prayer, we're coming to God with our willingness. I'm not trying to overcome God's reluctance. I don't think there's a God's reluctance. He's going to do his will. He's going to carry that out. Prayer is about us coming to God with our willingness for his will to be done in our life, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our communities. That's what prayer is about. Is about realigning our hearts, our lives under God and what he is doing. And so prayer, prayer is our faith lived out. We, prayer, expresses our dependency upon Jesus. So we cannot have a strong faith in a weak prayer life at the same time. Because how else do we show our dependency upon God if we don't come to him, surrendering to him, letting go of whatever we need to, whatever we need to lay down at his feet. If there's, if there's none of that in our life, then how are we expressing our dependency upon God? How else are we expressing our faith in Jesus? The fact that we sit here on a Sunday? The fact that we have a little uh, fish sticker on our car? How else? Because no matter what is going on in our life, we're running to the feet of Jesus. That we're continually, uh, almost like somebody said, pray without ceasing. That throughout our day, we're just talking to God. We're having little small conversations, just like we would with anybody else. That God is always on the forefront of our mind. And so we want to have a strong faith. And through that, we will have a strong prayer life. And so Paul encouraged us to continue steadfastly in prayer, but also being watchful. I love that. Because how do you pray and be watchful at the same time? We all bow our, uh, or bow our heads, close our eyes. There's been times where I've been on the phone with people and I want to pray with them, but I'm driving. I said, hey, are you okay if I pray with you right now over the phone? And that's sometimes awkward for people, and it's a lot of fun to overcome those hurdles. Like, we can pray on the phone. Yeah, we can. It's kind of fun. So we're going to pray, and I'm driving, so I'm not going to close my eyes if you're okay with that. And I know what you're thinking, walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> but I'm driving. It never said drive by faith. It said walk by faith. Okay. And, and so how are we going to be praying, but being watchful? Are we praying with an expectation to see God move? Or do we just feel like we have to pray because we're going through the motions? That's just what good Christians do. We pray. But are we praying if we, with an earnestness that we really believe that we're going to see God move in our lives, in our families, in our church? Do we, if we're lifting somebody else up in prayer, maybe it's a prodigal that you have in your life. Are we lifting them up and interceding on their behalf with an expectation that we really are going to see God move? Do we have that kind of expectation? So we're going to do a quick little run through a few verses here. If you want to follow along, go to 1 John for me. 1 John chapter 5. John writes, and this is, this is verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that what we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. That God wants us to approach him with a confidence in prayer, not like, hey, Lord, 
Didn't know if you were, you know, if you were, if you were busy or not today, just had a, had a couple ideas. You know, you really don't have to do this if you don't want to do it. And, and I really kind of don't expect you to do anything, but, you know, I'm supposed to lift this person up in prayer. Is that a confidence that the Lord wants us to have in approaching him? Flip a few pages and you can go to James. James chapter 5, verse 16, at the very end of it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So yes, our character matters. We can hinder our prayer life. We can hinder God's ability to hear our prayers because of our sin. And then he uses Elijah talking about sending rain and not sending rain because he was praying and praying again. But he, wanted, he wants us to have this confidence that we're praying, even Jesus. And Matthew 21 Always flipping, here we go, Matthew 21, verse 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Do you have this faith, this trust, this belief, this confidence that God does hear you and is working in and through your prayer? But again, prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance, about grabbing a hold of our willingness. Some of the most dangerous prayers that we can have our God, will you do this? Will you do that? Because the number one question I think that he's going to give us is, absolutely, that's why I have you. Well, God, you need to do something in their life. You're right, and I am going to do something in their life through you. Are you ready for that? See, a lot of times we just want to be the third party of it. We're like, okay, I got this person broken, needs a work of God in their life, and I know a God that is very big and powerful, and I'm just trying to connect the two. The difference is we're his workmanship, that God wants to use us, that we're his vessel, that a lot of times we say things like, oh, we just, like, we, we've even prayed it even this morning, like, get Nick out of the way, and we just want the word of God. Okay, if I just croaked over and died, and the preaching continued, that would be kind of awkward, be like, is the dead guy really talking or where's this voice coming through? You know, and I understand the prayer that we're saying. Like, we don't want Nick up here just telling what he thinks. We want to hear from the word of God, which is key. That God chooses to use us. That the word is going to go forth from preachers. The word is going to go forth from evangelists. The word is going to go forth from disciplers. The same thing. The work of God is going to go forth by the spirit of God through the man of God, the church of God, that he's not going to, he doesn't choose to work around us. He wants to work through us because as we are impacting those that we're interceding for on prayer, he's also changing my heart. He's also working in me. So why would we want to limit the work of God to say, no, no, you two disconnect. You, you guys just need to talk. No, no, no. Because there's something that God wants to do in my heart. And then lastly, you know, Ephesians and Colossians are kind of like uh, partnered letters. You could read them together, and there's a lot of very similar things. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, one of my favorite verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, meaning that our prayers are always going to fall short of the fullness of what God can do. Really, that's it? I wonder if God kind of says that about us sometimes. We come to him in prayer and we're pouring out our life and he's like, really, that's it? 
because we know that he can, he can do far more abundantly than we could even ask or think. So his power is that far beyond, but it's according to the power at work within us, not around us, not superseding us. It's the power of God through us as we intercede on behalf of whatever it is, whatever we're coming to Jesus about. Allow the Spirit of God to work in you, and as he is working in you, he will work through you. Because how many times have we stepped out in faith, we've listened to God, we've obeyed him, we've reached out to somebody, and what do they say? Oh, you're an answer to prayer. That's right. Sometimes even our own prayer. That as we have someone that we love and we want the gospel to absolutely impact in their life and to have a change and a transformation for the Lord, we're going to be an answer to our own prayer at times. But do we have a confidence and are we being watchful to really see what the Lord is going to do? Or do we just pray and think, ah, we'll just let you do it and step out of the way and, and we sometimes come to God in a lack of confidence. We're not really that sure of what he's going to do. We almost kind of act like we don't know who God is at times. But he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, but also with thanksgiving. So it's not just a mind thing of like we're being watchful, but a heart position as well. That we pray with gratitude and with thanksgiving. See, so many times we thank God for what he has done, but very few times will we thank God for what he will do. And that was a learning curve for me. That was really, really hard. I was being discipled by an older gentleman. My wife was being discipled by an older uh, lady and separate. They weren't married. We were, you know, just separate discipleship times. And at the same time, both of them, not planned, were impacting us about prayer in one of those moments that shifted for both of us very close in our time of being discipled was, let's go ahead and thank God for how he will work and move in this. Really? No, I'm going to thank God for what he has done. No, no, no. Let's have that heart approach that even in our prayer and what we're hoping to see God do and as we're handing him our willingness... We're going to thank him now for what he will do. You know, because a lot of times, again, it's like we don't even know God or his character, his heart. And, you know, think about Romans 8, 28. For God causes good, causes all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Do we really ask for that, Lord? What, what is the good that you're going to bring about that? And do we thank the Lord for the good that he's going to bring about that situation in our life? See, in the midst of some of the most difficult situations, thanking God for the good that he will bring out of it, that's, that's radical. Think of some of the most deepest, lowest moments in your life or seasons of life that you've been through. Maybe losing a loved one, losing that job, hearing that call from a doctor. Think, all right, this is my valley I'm going to walk through. Did you thank God for it? That's, that's hard. I've said it before, but I miss cancer. It'll be 10 years in January when I was diagnosed. I miss it. Not for the chemo. Not for the port. Not for the IVs. Not for all the tests. But it was a moment in my life that I had to have complete dependency upon the Lord. 
that it was a day-by-day thing. There'd be times, there was one time my heart started racing, going crazy, and I'm just laying in a bed and thought, all right, this, this might be it. My heart's beating like I just ran a marathon and hyper speed. Thought, am I getting ready to go see Jesus? Because my heart thinks so. My heart thinks so. My body, I don't know about that, but my heart thinks so. And they're coming in doing EKGs. I mean, this is how we go. This is how my story ends. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. But there's that moment by moment, constant dependency upon the Lord. But do we have a thankfulness for how he is working and moving? Are we being watchful and seeing the Lord as he shows himself faithful? I mean, we sang about it. Has he failed us? No. Will he fail us? No. And so if we know that about who God is and his character, then we can be thankful for even how we, even though we don't know how he's going to work, we can be thankful for it because we know it's not going to be a failing. Might not be our ways, might not be our thoughts, but we know what scripture says. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But there's never been a work of God that's been ever done in the history of human history on this earth. There's never been a work of God that we can't be thankful for. There's nothing that we could look at in the pages of scriptures and say, really, Lord? Like, how could we be thankful for how you moved and worked in that? That every work of God we could be thankful for. But when we look at those situations in our life, do we have that heart position of gratitude? Now, I know it's November and we have to talk about Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving's not about turkey and mashed potatoes. Maybe a deep fat fried turkey. I'll give you a little, little room there. Like I like a good deep. Thanksgiving, that word literally means giving thanks to the Lord. That when the atheist says Thanksgiving, it implies the Lord. It implies God. It's not just saying what we're, oh, I'm thankful for my job and my family. Well, who are you thankful for or to? To the Lord. And it's, it's a blessing uh, to the Lord of how he is blessing us. And so think about those situations that are really, really hard in our life. Because, and I'm sure we all have one of those. And if you haven't, buckle up. Buckle up. God might be doing that. But what situation, what circumstance, what season of life has grown your faith the most? What's the biggest step of faith? What's the biggest growth of faith in your life? Can I take a guess that it wasn't a moment of comfort and ease? Your life wasn't just dandelion, or maybe not dandelions, tulips and rainbows and unicorns and just cupcakes and everything good. Can I take a guess that it was actually a really hard, difficult, scary season of life that there was a lot of pain, hurt, fear even? That yeah, that, I remember that valley. That really grew my faith. Because think about, where does our strength come? And I know that strength comes from the Lord, but God gives us difficulties in our life to make us strong. Where does our wisdom come from? James tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask God. What's he gonna give you? Problems to solve. There's not just like bottles of strength and bottles of wisdom that God just pours out on us and I'm covered in his wisdom. No, he's going to give us problems to solve. He's going to give us difficulties to make us strong. Where does our courage come from? Dangers to overcome in our life. Where does love come from? Well, look at Jesus. We know the word says God is love. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, it is that there were troubled people 
that he chose to love. And they're still troubled people that he chooses to love. And so when we ask for God, I just want to have more love, he's going to bring us troubled people to love on. That's why the scariest prayer ever is to ask for patience. That means the Lord is going to put you in standstill traffic jam with a two-year-old in the back seat that's going to lose its ever-loving mind on you and scream for three hours. And we're sitting here, Lord, I asked for patience. It's going to give us opportunities to be patient in. Now, here's the crazy part. When's the last time you prayed for more of that? When's the last time you prayed, Lord, my life's been pretty easy. It's been pretty comfortable for the last few weeks. Could you bring some difficulties in here? I need to, I need to get stronger. Could you bring some difficulties in my life? Lord, I haven't problem solved for a while. I'm lacking in some wisdom. Lord, I need some problems in my life. Lord, ah, it's been kind of easy. I can, I can walk to Walmart and back and not have a fear of getting hit, jumped, murdered. Could you bring some danger in my life, Lord? When's the last time you had that prayer? Lord, you know, everybody in my life, they're pretty good people. They're pretty moral. They have good jobs. They come to a good church. They have good families. They're just good people. Lord, I need some troubled people in my life. When's the last time we prayed for that? When's the last time we asked other people to pray for that? Can you imagine being in life group? All right, we're going to take prayer requests. Yeah, I got a prayer request. My life is too cush and comfortable. Could you pray for God just to shake it up, right? Take the snot out of my life. Everything's just too settled and normal. But if we listen, isn't that what Paul's praying for? He says, yeah, be prayerful with thanksgiving, be steadfast in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving, but at the same time, pray also for us. Amen. Who wouldn't want to pray for the apostle Paul? Yeah, Paul, what could we be praying for? Oh, that God may open a door for us for the word. Amen. Absolutely, Paul. Yes, we want the word of God to go forth and to declare the mystery of Christ. Absolutely. And that's why I'm in prison. Hold up. You want us to pray for more of the reason why you're in prison. Paul, don't you understand that because you keep declaring the mystery of Christ and you're doing it so well that they're trying to literally kill you, stone you, beat you? Yeah. So what do you want us to pray for? More of that. When's the last time we had prayers like that? See, he's asking for the very thing that's causing the greatest discomfort in issues in his life. But Paul wants the word of God to go forth. He wants to declare Christ to the world. It's almost like Paul is saying, I want the word to go forth into the world, but I also want the word to go forth in me. Because every time we share the gospel, we share the word, we share the hope that we have in Christ, you know who's the first person in that audience that gets to hear it? And are we not called to remember and to remind ourselves continually of the grace of God? Is our lives even uh, what they are comfortable enough that at times we forget and we grow numb and apathetic to what Christ has done for us? Well, how do we remind ourselves? We should start telling more people because every time I'm telling somebody about the hope that we have in Christ, we're telling them the hope that I have in Christ. We're talking about the love of Christ 
that has been poured out on us. We're telling about the grace of Christ that sustains us. That's what I love when Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, for my power is made perfect in weakness, in difficulties, in problems, in dangers, in troubles. I think the problem of evil is one of those questions that we as the church, as Christians, need to answer well. Why does God allow so much suffering in the world? But if we really read Scripture, we really understand the heart of Paul. I love what C.S. Lewis said, that uh, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Those are some words. And so when you hear that, when you read through, even in our own lives, that we had all just smiled and kind of nodded when I said, think of those situations in our life that grew our faith the most. Were they comfortable? No. They were valleys, dark, deep, lonely, but they grew our faith the most. The question is, why, isn't, why is there so much suffering in the world? The question, why isn't there more? That if that is God's chisel to shape and to mold us, to create us, to be like Christ. I want more of that, not less. I want more of the work of God, not less. I got to talk one time to a Christian in Saudi Arabia, um, and he was a church leader, not a pastor. He was just a, just a normal guy, like a leading the team. I think he was in charge of like men's ministry in Saudi Arabia, where it was illegal to be a Christian and to have church and all of that. And he was in our small little church in Hiawatha, Kansas. Crazy story how he even showed up. It was really kind of a cool God moment. And he, they had him come up and they're standing up there, him and his girlfriend, and they're talking about, you know, what it means to be a Christian in Saudi Arabia. And we're asking all the, you know, nicety questions and different things like that. And I was kind of young and <clears throat> bold and stupid. And I finally had enough of it. And I just said, I raised my hand in front of the whole church. I was new, so you could do weird things like this and not be judged for it. I said, hey, you've been talking about how in Saudi Arabia, you guys meet five, six, sometimes even seven times a week for different ministries. That'd be prayer, Bible study, service, a worship night, baptism, different things like that. And you have to change houses. You can never go to the same house twice in a, in a week because, you know, they'll start tracking you and you can't wear anything, no crosses and fish and any of the other Christianese that we, you know, sell for Jesus. Can't wear any of that. And you are highly persecuted for it. I said, do you ever wish you could come to America where you have complete freedom? I said, is it hard though that where we have complete freedom, like we're doing good to get people to gather and, and worship maybe once, twice a week through life groups, Bible studies, prayer groups, different things like that. And he just kind of smiled because he was very polite. I wasn't going to overstep my bounds, but since you asked, and I loved his analogy, he said, I don't want to lose my fizz. I wouldn't want to come to America and be a Christian in America because I would lose my fizz. I want to stay in Saudi Arabia where every moment, every day, I have to live dependent upon God. And there's things that we don't know what God is going to do. We don't know what we're going to do. We have to be dependent upon God. I don't want to lose my fizz. Because there is, is there anything worse in the world? Like the greatest work of Satan, when you go to a fast food restaurant and they hand you your pop and it's flat. Like I paid $9 for that Sprite. And you're gonna hand me flat sugar water? 
away from me, Satan, right? And you take that drink compared to like when it's really fizzy, you take a big drink of pop and your eyes water, you can't even talk right. Like that is the goodness of the Lord right there. He goes, that's how I would feel like my faith is if I stayed in America. I would lose my fizz. I would lose those difficulties. I would lose those problems. I would lose those dangers. I would lose troubled people. I would lose God and the power of Christ in me and the power of Christ through me. Now this is not let's all go home, buy tickets to Saudi Arabia, and we're all going to go there and be really fizzy Dr. Pepper. No. Do we have troubles here? Do we have difficulties here? Do we have pain? Do we have suffering? Do we have troubled people here? Absolutely. God has called us to be a church in this community, to be his hands, his feet, his heart. That we can't look and think, oh, we're horrible, we're not like them in other countries. No, we, we are us. And God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has given us everything that we need to impact this community. That if we, again, our willingness to God, we will reach everybody that he wants us to reach. We will disciple everybody that he wants us to disciple. The question isn't what is God going to do through our church and our community? What is God, what are we going to allow God to do in and through us? And this is where we need to keep walking in wisdom. Why? Because we don't know when different culties, you know, I always tell the staff, crisis and opportunity will never give you a heads up. Crisis and opportunity will never give you a heads up. And we, we, as a staff, I tell them, plan your week, your work week, your hours. Let's get our hours in. But plan for that. Have some little bit of wiggle room because you never know when somebody's just gonna walk up and say, hey, I need help moving down at the apartments. Is there anybody here with a truck that could help me move? Yeah, that was a Friday me and Jaron had. Or another person coming up, and I forgot what they were asking for, weeping on our front steps because his wife just left him. That crisis and opportunity are never going to give us a heads up. That we're never going to know when the difficulties, when the problems, when the dangers, when the troubled people are just going to walk into our life. And so we need to walk in wisdom. We need to keep our speech gracious because we never know who that person and what they are going through and, and why our lives have intersected and crossed over. You know, imagine like driving to church, Somebody cuts you off, you tell them that they're number one. Maybe even roll down your window, tell them a, uh, a, a good word that you have. And then you pull into church and you park right next to each other. My wife always has to remind me, pastor, pastor, pastor. We get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We need to continually, steadfastly, realign our hearts and our minds and our lives to God's will. We need to keep walking in wisdom, keep our speech gracious, be ready, because God is at work. I don't look at the world and think, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Nope. I look at the world and think, what a great opportunity that we have to impact broken people with broken lives. And who else is going to do it? 
Who else has God called to do this? There is no plan B. We are the church. That he has equipped you, me. You might be thinking, well, yeah, I'm not a pastor. Great. You guys honestly have more open doors than me. I promise you. The moment people find out I'm a pastor, I don't even like to tell people. I yell at some of you when you see me out in public. Oh, hi, Pastor Nick. Oh, hi, Mechanic John. Like, I, is that how we greet each other? <laughs> Hello, Nurse Bobby. You're like, no, I'm just Nick. I'm just a nobody. But we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But I encourage us, this week in life groups are going to be a little bit different because I uh, wrote the questions in a way that, yeah, I really didn't write questions. But each of these life groups will turn into a prayer meeting and a time of prayer and worship just as we cast all our cares before him, as we intercede on the behalf of those in our lives and our world, as we realign ourselves to God's will and we honestly take a hard look at our willingness to what God wants to do in and through us. And so I challenge you this week, what is your willingness Because I think between God and us, I don't think he's the one that's being reluctant and reaching a lost, broken world. I think it's our hearts. I think it's an opportunity and time for the church. This is our time to step up and to be, again, the hands, the feet, and the heart of Jesus in this world. So let me pray as we're talking about prayer for us. And I just encourage you guys. It's what our mission is about. We say it, but we mean it. But love God. What does it look like Monday through Friday this week? You can throw a Saturday in there. We're going to meet next week. What's it going to look like in a week? Really mean to try to love someone else. And that's the hard part. It's easy to love people that we love, right? No, find somebody who's very unlovable. Find somebody that doesn't love you. Some of you, you probably married to that person. No. Find somebody that's really hard to love and say, you know what? I'm going to love this person and make an impact. How can you make a small impact into somebody's life? Love God, love others, impact this world. It's what we are called to do. That is our heart cry as a church. Not just something that we shout and holler, but it's something that we believe and that we live out. Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. We just come before you. And even in the stillness and the quietness of this room, Lord, we come to you with an expectation to see you work and move in massive ways. Because that's who you are. You are a God that transforms. You are a God that changes. You are a God that reaches out to the broken, that gives purpose and value and hope to the hopeless. That is who you are, Lord. And for some reason beyond our understanding, you've invited us to be a part of what you're doing and how you are engaging this world. And I pray that we in faith, being watchful with a gratitude, with thanksgiving, Lord, we thank you that this is who you are and how you, we come to you. And we ask, keep doing more. Keep overcoming our reluctance to be your hands and your feet and your heart, Jesus.
And I pray that we would, with open hands, not tightly clenched hands, but open hands, come to you, Lord, and ask, what do you have for us? Even this week, each and every one of us, how can we be your hands, your feet, your hearts in this world? So we do ask for wisdom, for boldness, for courage, for strength. We do ask for love, and we know what that means, Lord. Our lives are in your hands. Nothing has changed. And so, Lord, shake our lives up. Turn us upside down that we would live more dependent upon you more aware of who you are and what you are doing in this world. Let us never become numb, complacent, comfortable, apathetic to you, Lord. Answer the call that you have upon our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said,